0: There's a spirit in our land Raising up the kind of man With a burning in his heart to be free Like the preacher men of old He can't be bought, he can't be sold What did they preach? They preached liberty People who love their liberty. Liberty to exercise all their God-given rights granted them at the time of their birth. The right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say, From bad law we will keep our people free. Through the jury we'll guard our liberty. Call the king into accounting for his disregard of law. Told their people not to yield before his threats. For God established rulers to protect the rights of man. And ordained government to fit into his plan. To maintain his people's liberty. Liberty to exercise all the God given rights granted them. At the time of their birth, the right to speak their arms and pray, worship God on land and say From their law, we will keep our people free. Through the jewelry, we'll guard our liberty. your men today. We will keep our people free. Through the jury, we'll guard our liberty, liberty to exercise all the God-given rights granted them at the time of their birth. The right to speak, their arms, and pray, worship God on land and save This jury says not guilty. We choose to acquit. The state was wrong. To charge him this law is not fit for a people who love their liberty, for a people who will die for liberty.
1: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Voice of Liberty. This is Rick Tyler thanking you for tuning in. Today, I would like to be, uh, begin by reading a passage of Scripture. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy, the first chapter, the seventh verse. You may be familiar with it. You should be. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, And of a sound mind Again For God hath not given us The spirit of fear But of power And of love And of a sound mind Do you have a sound mind? We are supposed to have a sound mind As believers As those who are Spiritually regenerate as those who have the ability to discern what the truth is versus the lies that emanate from enemy sources. Now, if we were dealing with just a regular, ordinary, garden-variety opponent, it would not be as critical that we have a sound mind because it would be more obvious what reality consists of versus what the world of deception is comprised of. But it so happens that, that in this conflict of the ages, this battle between good and evil that has been ongoing throughout all of time and history, it so happens that in this battle We are pitted against an adversary who is cunning, who is intelligent, who is resourceful and capable to an extraordinary degree. Now, we never want to give too much credit to the Luciferian power. We don't want to ascribe credit to Satan that would in some way imply or suggest that that his power is even remotely on par with the power of the God that we serve. That would be an egregious mistake to do that. But at the same time, we do want to understand that that this enemy, this adversary, by comparison to the abilities, the capabilities, the resources etc of mere mortal mankind that he is enormously endowed with abilities and powers that vastly supersede those powers that are more or less representative of the, the earthly or the temporal realm. Now Obviously, as believers, as servants of the living God, we have, among many other weapons in our arsenal, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. If we are truly spiritually regenerate, if we are genuine believers. So we do have that power, and we have other powers as well that are Really incalculable in a, in a very, very realistic sense, but at the same time we are up against a being, and the power that that he is representative of. That is literally out of this world. It is not bound by the the confines and the the strictures that that our powers and capabilities are very, very often bound by. And so, we must understand this reality in order to evidence the fact that we have a sound mind. There are many people who are, academically, they are quite brilliant, but they don't comprehend the essence and the nature of the Luciferian power and the satanic commander of that power that they are up against and of course one of the greatest victories for Satan is to convince people that he doesn't exist if someone scoffs at the reality of a satanic power then they are unwittingly very very much the victim of that same power that they are oblivious to the existence of. So this gets quite intricate. It gets quite involved, complicated even. And yet it is critical. It is essential that we be able to turn towards these foundational truths as we go about the business of developing our own manifesto, our own strategy, our own blueprint, our own game plan as to how we should proceed in the prosecution of this campaign of holy warfare against the forces of evil. Many people have a cavalier attitude toward this subject matter. They are puffed up with human pride. They have the, as the old saying goes, just enough knowledge to be dangerous. People who are greenhorns, novices, neophytes to the cause of advanced truth are very susceptible to this syndrome, learning enough to fancy themselves to be on the cutting edge of truth when in reality they have barely scratched the surface. But in their flesh, in their ego. They want to believe that they are something that they are not. So this is a great problem. Many people stumble and they blunder because of the knowledge that they lack. They want some type of shortcut to advance truth. They don't want to have to pay the price, pay the dues, exert the brain sweat to do what the scripture says when it instructs us to study to show ourselves approved unto God workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So once again, I emphasize in the scripture passage that we began with, I emphasize that very last term, a sound mind. Now the other aspects of that verse are critical also, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead of power and of love. But again, I want to emphasize here initially, and of a sound mind, because so many people who mean well, who are potentially slated to be very effective soldiers in the battle for truth, they nevertheless get hung up early on because they do not exhibit the characteristic of a sound mind. They fall hook, line, and sinker for the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. Of course, we have made reference to, and will continue to make reference, to the Q phenomenon that is ever-present. It's not going away, by the way, and it didn't begin with Q. I've pointed out on this broadcast before, those of us who were active in the 80s and 90s, we remember other variations of the Q phenomenon back in that era. This isn't something that has originated just during the last four years. There were other other manifestations of this phenomenon that went under different names, but the storyline was basically the same, that there was a cadre of good guys that were planted deeply within the intelligence community. They were on our side, and they were playing this advanced game of 3D chess. They were in a position to pull the right levers and push the right buttons at the right time to cause a domino effect and bring all the bad guys to justice and clean up the mess from within, and of course, restore justice to our once great republic. Obviously, back in the 90s, it didn't happen, because it was every bit as much a falsehood and a ruse then as it is today. And yet, right up to the very moment that we find ourselves at in the unfolding of history, Considerable numbers of people scattered abroad throughout the land, good people otherwise, continue to embrace the delusions of the Q movement. Just yesterday, one of these relative newcomers to the cause of advanced truth went out of his way to come see me and came up to me with a very solemn expression and countenance and he was holding his smartphone and there was a podcast or some type of message playing where an individual whom I was not familiar with was articulating the latest installment of the Q Fantasy my friend, my contact said to me have you been keeping up with what's going on today? This was on March the 4th, of course. And I said, no, what's going on? Trump is taking back over, he said. Now, I have had conversations with this individual on other dates that were supposedly red letter type dates in the the Q narrative. I've had conversations with him in advance of these dates. I have patiently explained to him what it is that he has attached himself to, and that it is, in reality, disinformation. That it is itself a component of the plan of the forces of evil to neutralize people, to lead them down dead-end roads, to discredit them, and, of course, in the case of some, to even cause them to find themselves in very, very deep trouble with the state, the tyrannical state that we are living under right now, especially at the level of the federal or national government. But at any rate, this happened yesterday where he came to me and I began listening to the gibberish of the individual that was speaking on the podcast that he was keenly uh, tuned into, and of course it was just simply more of the same. I quickly reminded him of the instances where I had correctly forecasted that the prognostications that he was giving circulation to, that they were not going to come to fruition, and he acknowledged, even yesterday, that, that the individual that he was listening to was saying that that there wouldn't be any absolute cut-and-dried evidence of what was happening for several weeks, that it would be into April, probably, before it would really all begin, begin to thoroughly manifest itself. And, and so I reminded him again, don't you see what they are doing? Now, What is the motivating force primarily for this individual I'm speaking of is that he so desperately wants to believe, first of all, in Donald Trump, but also he wants to believe that God is not going to allow us to go through the meat grinder that we are facing, figuratively speaking, maybe literally. He doesn't want to believe. He desperately clings, as so many like him do, to the idea that God is going to rescue us, that he is going to supernaturally intervene working through this this shadowy entity, and that, of course, he is going to facilitate some some semblance of deliverance and emancipation from what otherwise clearly is the law of cause and effect in action. I reminded my, my friend in contact yesterday that we have everything coming to us that, that we can see and probably uh, that we can't see. We have it justifiably coming to us in spades because there is no repentance. There is no humility. There is no turning from our wicked ways, as Second Chronicles 7.14 prescribes. Instead, there continues to be this prideful, this arrogance, this idea that somehow we can circumvent and short-circuit the process. We can uh, take an in-run type course of direction around reality, and wind up at a desired destination. And of course, for the most part, overwhelmingly, this is not the way that our God works. He will allow his people to be visited by bondage, by delusion, strong delusion, and of course, even by calamity, by death in the worst-case scenario. And, of course, then there is that proverbial fate worse than death, seeing your children taken, abused. And, of course, we know that, ultimately, the enemy that we face is the most horrific and vile of enemies. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. Why? Because he is a liar. And of course, he is the father of lies. Yes, that is what we are up against. The thief that cometh not but for to kill and to destroy. And so, as long as there are individuals like the gentleman that I am describing who will continue to embrace the unfounded notions of some secret force that is contending on our behalf, getting ready to turn the tables on the enemy and pull back the curtain and unveil this otherwise hidden and secretive plan that is able to and determined to reestablish justice. As long as there are people that that will willingly go along with this notion, this delusion, of course, it will continue to be utilized as a highly effective means of, first of all, neutralizing people, but then secondly, discrediting the cause for which we fight. So I go into all of this just to draw the contrast between what I'm describing and what the scripture tells us is what we are supposed to be in possession of, which is a sound mind. We are not to be double-minded. James, of course, tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We don't want to be double-minded. Instead, we want to manifest and exhibit that sound mind that the scripture speaks of. Now, if we have a sound mind, then we have the ability, first of all, to face and to deal with reality in all of its fullness, and all of its multifaceted proportions. Reality is not a pretty picture in the immediate context. Now, in the long-range context, it is a pretty picture because reality does tell us that there will be victory, ultimately, But it is not going to be some type of instantaneous, come-out-of-nowhere type, miraculous event that comes to pass as a result of the machinations of embedded and hidden forces within the deep state or the intelligence community that really are good guys and are working on our behalf. Of course, part of this Q fantasy is that the military is committed to supporting ultimately the right cause and even Trump. That the military somehow is waiting, poised, preparing to pounce and to put their muscle, their militaristic muscle, behind the presidency of Donald Trump. And of course, we know that in third world countries, it is always the military that does effectuate coups against regimes that are being deposed, that are being supplanted by someone who is more ambitious, more capable of orchestrating the militaristic type force and power to back up their overthrow of the existing power. Military coups, of course, have been quite common throughout modern history. And of course, in fact, our own central intelligence agency and related entities have played a direct role in the outworking of a variety of of coup-type events throughout the world since World War II. But again... We are to have a sound mind and understand that these fantastic hypothetical scenarios are just that. They are in no way grounded in or connected to reality. They are designed to keep everybody strung along, hoping for something that is not going to happen, not going to occur. And if we have that sound mind, then of course we can dispense once and for all with this otherwise very non-productive exercise of squandering our time, our energy, our emotions, our resources on a pie-in-the-sky, wishful-thinking type proposition. You see, we need to be about the genuine business of the work of the kingdom of our mighty God. The king's business requires haste, says the scripture. We don't have any time to waste. We don't have the luxury of time that we can squander spinning our wheels in some meaningless and some fantastic type hypothetical scenario that is not based in reality. Instead, we must be focusing Locking in like flint on the things that we do know, the things that are provable reality. Remember, the scriptural model is to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. We are to prove all things. Now, sometimes all that is necessary to prove something is the fact that it is divinely revealed. We have the word of God, divine revelation, and of course, divine revelation is just simply that. If it is stated expressly and forthrightly in the word of God, it is true. And we don't have to worry about proving it. It is true merely by virtue of the fact that he has pronounced it to be true in holy writ in his word. But beyond that, when we're talking about extra biblical truth, then we must be able to employ and apply the litmus test of proving all things and holding fast that which is good. Now, of course, here's where the other components of this verse uh, must come into play. Because, to be quite frank, when you peel back sufficient numbers of layers of the proverbial onion and you begin to really see the intricacy and of course the depth and the breadth and the complexity of the game plan the strategy of the forces of evil and how it's successful they have been in the implementation of that that diabolical plan it is frightening to the utmost it is exceedingly frightening to contemplate the successes that satan has already achieved throughout the unfolding of time and that he happens to be achieving even right at this present moment, it is exceedingly frightening. And that's why we must shun the spirit of fear and instead invoke and wield and lay hold of the spirit of power and of love and again, then of a sound mind. Because even the power and the love, if they are not constrained by, directed by, and governed by that sound mind that the Word of God is speaking of, then even those otherwise very worthy and good forces, that being the spirit of fear and of love, can be diverted and misdirected in a non-productive direction. So, it must all be synthesized together. It has to be thorough. It has to be complete. And again, fear is an immediate disqualifier. Remember in the account of Gideon in the book of Judges, the first process whereby the ranks were thinned out and the dead wood was gotten rid of was to simply inquire, Who doesn't want to be here? Which essentially translates into who's afraid. Who's afraid to follow through on this campaign? And of course, immediately, one-third of the total number was gone. Fear, of course, is a disqualifier immediately. And if we are not living in victory over and, and in power and subjugation of the spirit of fear then we are automatically disqualified. And of course it is fear that compels many people to embrace these baseless notions and beliefs about things that are getting ready to happen. The fear of having to deal head-on and hands-on with the crisis that we are facing. So we must bring into subjugation And we must take power over the spirit of fear because it is a built-in human emotion to want to sidestep and avoid hardship and danger, to avoid being in what's called harm's way. And yet sometimes being in harm's way is the only way that we can execute the plan of God for our lives. So we must be constantly in victory over the spirit of fear and then invoking and wielding power or the spirit of power. What is that power? Well, all power in heaven and on earth is given unto our King, Jesus Christ. All power. And of course, in that we are his kinsmen, we are his servants, we are his emissaries, we are his ambassadors, the power that he possesses, which is all power that has been given unto him, it is transferable to us in varying incremental degrees. Now, he even went so far as to say that we would do greater things than that which he did during his earthly sojourn. But to even scratch the surface of his power is in and of itself a great achievement. And of course, it's that kind of power that can precipitate momentous turns of events. It is the exercising of that power that can then unleash directly his power on our behalf. Look at what he did to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Look at the power that was unleashed and poured out on behalf of God's people. Look at the power that was unleashed in the account of Jericho, the sacking of Jericho. What kind of power are we talking about that would bring this great wall that encircled the city of Jericho down in a heap, falling in its own footprint? What kind of power could hasten those types of results. Remember, this wall around Jericho was big enough to where homes were built up on top of it. It was a gargantuan, highly impressive structure. And yet the God that we serve was able to bring it down. Presto. Through his miraculous power. And of course, his people were playing a role every step of the way by following his instructions and doing what he commanded, going through the the exercise of carrying out his mandates, thus qualifying to be on the receiving end of that power. Yes, there is a vast and unlimited reservoir of divine power that is at our beck and call It is defined in part by the Apostle Paul when he referenced the fact that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but instead are mighty to the pulling down or bringing down of strongholds. And of course, the forces of evil have enormous strongholds that they enjoy and employ and wield over us, that they keep us in bondage too. So again the power that is literally at our disposal at our fingertips that power is something that we must lay hold of and properly wield. And of course then the love that is spoken of in this first Timothy or second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 passage. Love. This spirit of love. Greater love Hath no man than this, Jesus said, Then a man lay down his life for his friends or his brethren. When you have that kind of love, that is power. When you know that there are people who are ready and willing to lay their life down for you, and you are able to likewise have that same level of commitment and devotion, to those people wherein you are ready and prepared to lay your life down for them. In other words, we're talking about merely following the example of our Messiah, because that's what he did. He laid his own life down. He gave his life a ransom for many. In other words, for all of his elect. But again, when you have that type of reciprocity with your kinsmen, with your brethren, that in and of itself constitutes a tremendously powerful force because you see it is sin nature, it is normal human nature to want to look out for number one, to want to safeguard your own interest and well-being. Talk is cheap. It's easy to say that you love someone. In fact in the places of worship of contemporary churchianity, that is a a commonly bandied about phrase. I love you, brother. We love you. And yet, how many of these people that glibly state and profess their love for their fellow parishioners, how many of them are really and truly ready and willing to lay their own life down, to forfeit and sacrifice their own life on behalf of those whom they supposedly love? So much We know that, of course, very few really mean it on that level, that instead, again, it's just that cheap talk. It tickles people's ears. It sounds good, but it is very much substandard in terms of not genuinely being founded and based upon this spirit of love that is being referenced in this verse. But if you do have that power, It is something that, of course, can become a conduit for the unleashing of miraculous forces that can then play a highly instrumental role in the decimation of and the destruction of the forces of evil. Now, there is a showdown coming. Make no mistake about it. There is a history that has unfolded over the last century, actually a little more than a century in terms of its formal incarnation. It began with the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917. And of course, the Bolshevik Revolution was financed from the West, from the shadowy, evil, Luciferian power of the West. It was financed in the form of of precious metal, gold, that was sent into Russia to finance the Bolshevik Revolution. And by the way, along, along the way, if you get a chance to obtain a copy of a book called The Iron Curtain Over America by John Beatty, this old book is quite interesting, quite instructive, very, very useful uh, to be in possession of. But in 1917, we had the Bolshevik Revolution, And while you're at it, of course, also try to obtain a copy of Behind Communism by Frank Britton. Behind Communism. Behind Communism will inform you and instruct you as to the identity of the Bolsheviks, who they were, what their stripe was, what their core and essence was in terms of, of their being, you see, again, it's a cause and effect world. And there are people and there are groups of people who are actually allowed to exist by the sovereign hand of God to be vessels of wrath, to be the wastrel, the destroyer that is spoken of in Scripture. God uses them despite Themselves, He uses them in a way that they are sealed off from understanding because, again, they do not possess the truth, nor do they possess the ability to properly know and understand the truth. It is a great component of our endowment, of our inheritance, that we are enabled to and we are allowed to see the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, when we set our hearts and minds in the right direction. So again, this passage of Scripture is highly informative to us, and it constitutes a very, very significant and profound foundation upon which we can build. Because it's not enough just simply to see through and to be able to properly label the delusions and the deceptions and the the false hypotheticals and scenarios that the enemy rolls out before us to try to subvert us and misdirect us. It's not enough just to simply discern and ascertain and and detect and diagnose what the enemy is doing. We must also, significantly and importantly, be able to go far above and beyond that accomplishment and begin to effectively and rightfully articulate and then implement and execute a strategy for action that is consistent with the will and the truth of the God that we serve. Now, very often we have to return to the ancient landmarks. Very often we have to return to that which seems, by earthly standards, to be minuscule and meaningless Look at the widow's might in Scripture. Look at the fishes and loaves donated by the boy that was then multiplied and used to feed the multitude. Look at how God narrowed down the forces with Gideon down to 300, pitted against an overwhelmingly superior force in the earthly sense. Once again, God, more often than not, will hone in on and focus in on the least likely of candidates or on the least likely of modalities through which his will can be pursued and accomplished. David, of course, was the least likely of the sons of Jesse to be anointed future king of Israel How is it that God knows the end from the beginning How is it that he is all knowing and all powerful and omnipresent Well it is simply owing and attributable to the fact that he is the creator He is almighty God It is attributable to those facts that he is able to exercise this matchless power and ability that he is the sole arbiter of. And so we must be about, because it's his will, we must be about the task of diligently determining what the optimum trajectory is, the optimum course of direction. I have mentioned in previous broadcasts that that we need to be operative and active at the local level in terms of effecting change. Now, of course, everywhere our people are, we want to be vessels through which the truth and power of the God whom we serve is manifested and unleashed in the affairs of men. But at the same time, we want to be astute and savvy enough to recognize where we can best invest our time, talent, and treasure. Would it make any sense to go to, let's say, Oakland, California, and try to develop an endeavor there that could become a prototype to be emulated elsewhere uh, towards the objective of establishing justice and order in the land? and exalting the God of Scripture. No, it wouldn't make sense to go to Oakland, California to do that, would it? Nor would it make sense to go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or to Los Angeles, California, or to Chicago, Illinois, or to Atlanta, Georgia. You get my drift. In other words, the big cities, first of all, what are they? They are bastions of contemporary, bankrupt, worldview-type philosophy. The big population centers have been, essentially they have been abdicated by, they have been abandoned by our people, and for good reason. Because the die has long been cast in these population centers as to the inordinate proclivity that they manifest and exhibit towards socialistic, communistic type government and policies. And so it is the antithesis, the opposite of fertile soil to go to these types of places in hopes of engendering some type of great manifestation of the exhibition of divine power and truth. Instead, we would want to look towards geographic areas that were sparsely populated that were demographically overwhelmingly Caucasian or European in terms of the makeup and composition of the local body politic in these types of counties that we might be looking at we would want to be looking at at a location that would be within a territory that had historically been more favorably inclined towards constitutional principles. Now, of course, just with what I've already laid out as parameters and boundaries, we can first conclude that the most likely advantageous locations would be in the southeastern United States would be part of the landmass and territory that constituted the Confederacy back in the days that culminated in the war between the states. Now, sadly and unfortunately, among those states that were part of the Confederacy, a great many of them are so thoroughly inundated with non-white populations, that it renders them as being unlikely places that could be pointed to as a prototype of what is needed to fight the battle for truth in the days ahead. But not all of those states fall into that problematic categorization. The state of Tennessee, I believe, stands out as being unique in terms of the the states that were part of the Confederacy. The state of Tennessee, to this day, among southern states, has the smallest population of non-white ethnicities of all of the formerly Confederate states. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. Tennessee has glaring problems and pitfalls, as do all the states. Tennessee has some big cities that, like Atlanta is to Georgia, or like Dallas and Fort Worth are to Texas, and Houston is to Texas, like L.A. is to California. Tennessee does have that same problem going on in terms of Cities such as Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga. But apart from those major centers of population, the heartland of Tennessee is highly favorable and conducive to the development of strategic planning towards the survival and the restoration of the power of our people in America. Now, again, many people also have a belief that they adhere to that is reinforced in the teachings of their church that there is going to come a rapture whereby God's people are going to be taken out of this world. And, of course, this will be before the going gets too rough. This, of course, also is a doctrine of dubious origin and it warrants a study in and of itself about this the rapture doctrine. Maybe we'll get into that in a subsequent broadcast. Now, I want to go ahead and momentarily. I do want to uh, give an email address that can be utilized to communicate with us, and that email address is Voice of Liberty. 1776 at gmail.com Again, that's voiceofliberty 1776 at gmail.com I also would like to give you a phone number. If you care to make a phone call or send a text message, you can call 423 area code 241 Zero two. We welcome communication from our listeners and and would encourage you if you feel so inclined. Certainly not required, but it is an option for everybody. It's great to get to know people who are of like mind, of like faith, and who share a vision, like Proverbs 29 refers to. Because where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy is he. So says the 29th proverb. But again, getting back to our subject at hand as we move towards the wrapping up of and conclusion of this broadcast, let me just say that we do need to begin to get specific because if we remain nonspecific and nebulous, then no solutions or potential solutions even will be forthcoming. Our God wants us to solve problems. He wants us to make calculated, rational decisions using that sound mind that he has gifted us with. He wants us to do that very thing so that we can become the facilitators of opposition to the satanic plan that is being utilized and wielded in the process of enslaving humanity and effecting the genocidal destruction upon our people in particular. We are marked for destruction. Don't be afraid, but instead be righteously indignant that we are in the crosshairs of this type of satanic game plan and agenda. We cannot just sit back idly and twiddle our thumbs and, and hope that God delivers us when instead we have been commissioned and called to take dominion, to do that which is proactive and of course at the right time to even erect structures Figuratively speaking, and of course, even literally speaking, that can become the templates for a successful dominion agenda. What is dominion? Well, taking dominion means that the law of God is instituted. It's employed. It's utilized. It is defended. It is adhered to in order to establish justice righteousness, orderliness, etc., among us and in the affairs of men. And we're not talking about totalitarian uh, type constructs, such as what the enemy always gravitates toward. But instead, what the scripture speaks of when it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And of course, liberty was was once front and center in the American experience. There was a time when God-given liberty was of paramount significance and importance in the midst of our people. There was a time when it was well understood by vast percentages of the population that this law of cause and effect is ceaselessly operative and that Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And also, of course, on the flip side of the coin, that sin is a reproach to any people and to a people. Well, again, I've mentioned Tennessee as being, I believe, the most favorable place to focus our attentions in terms of trying to build and establish kind of a metaphoric arc of survival in the time that we're living in. Of course, Tennessee is relatively mild in its climate. It has mountains, it has rivers of of great significance, a long growing season, great groundwater in much of the landmass of the state, And, of course, its history is rich with personalities and characters that step from the pages of history and, of course, give us great inspiration in our battles in the here and now as well as into the future. Men like Davy Crockett, Andrew Jackson, Nathan Bedford Forrest, Yes, men of this caliber were Tennesseans. And there is something about a territory that can be often directly linked to and associated with individuals the caliber of which I speak. Now, we are not to engage in hero worship of our ancestors. We're not to put them on a pedestal and exalt them as though they were God. But when we do have people who have made clearly unique contributions to the tapestry that is our rich and storied history, then there is nothing wrong with us giving credit where credit is due, acknowledging these great men for what they did do and accomplish, and of course then seeking to emulate their performance. Andrew Jackson, remember, was the man who said, we're going to rout you vipers out by God. He was talking to the, the banking cabal, the cartel of his day, the private bank, criminal enterprise. And he did it. He succeeded. Nathan Bedford Forrest, of course, was a man who was self-made. He was a general of Vast accomplishment and effectiveness it has been said uh, by the right type of historians who, who dare to bring forth the hardcore truth that is suppressed by the court historians it has been said that if if the West Point trained generals had listened to Bedford Forest that the South would have emerged victorious from that conflict But Nathan Bedford Forrest divested himself of his own resources to equip his troops. And time and again, he led his men courageously and effectively. And of course, in the aftermath of the war between the states, when Reconstruction was going on and the the destiny of the people of the South was hanging in the balance, we know that Nathan Bedford Forrest also was hands-on and proactive in terms of bringing forth Organization for vigilante type activity to restore order to the South. And of course, we know a man like Davy Crockett and we're well aware of his accomplishments and most notably what he did at the Alamo. Well, we are about out of time and I want to thank you again for tuning in and invite you to join us again uh, for future installments of this broadcast because we're going to continue to pursue the truth at all costs and bring forth solutions. For our people in the days ahead. Until the next broadcast, this is Rick Tyler saying farewell and may God bless, protect you, and inspire you.
0: We need such preacher men today to show our people the way to redeem their lost liberty. The bars of hell cannot prevail against one man who will take the the expose tyranny, and teach His people liberty, liberty to exercise all the God-given rights granted them. Ben-